And now for another episode, Heard It Through the Rose Vine, with your host, the creator of Black Rose Writing, Raygun Brody. Greetings and salutations. This is Reagan Rohde, the host of Heard It Through the Rose Vine, signing on for another episode. And yes, we are still here. We took a two-week period off, um, catch up on some Black Rose writing uh, essential work and uh, to let things settle down a bit during the COVID-19. And we are back and we've got uh, my co-host today, social media marketing Jedi for Black Rose Riding, Christopher Miller. Uh, how's it going? Woo! We're good. We're beautifully bald-headed and quarantined, and we're living life. We're excited. That's it. So Christopher and I both got a, a buzz with the Clippers, the best and easiest and best-looking quarantine haircut and my son Walter Lee joined us and we're trying to get some of the other staff and family and friends to to jump on but they're uh they're worried about their hair and worried that they that it might not grow back which uh, I think your hair keeps growing even after you're dead so it shouldn't be a concern no no yeah for me personally the only concern was with the long beard that I have right now, it was whether or not I looked like a white supremacist. Gladly that has not happened and I haven't had that comment. So other than from my wife of all people. So, so we're good. That's good. Yeah. It's just, it's all about how you wear it and your attitude and, and reason for wearing it. And mine feels nice and cool. It's getting warmer in South Texas and it's also, obviously, you don't have to go to the barbershop. It's a nice, easy haircut. Yep. So. And, and if all of that is true, then I basically look like a big Viking goofball. That's, <laughs> that's so we, probably where I'd put it. We got some other coronavirus updates since we did our last podcast. I think we um, Black Rose Riding donated to some local businesses that we you know, frequently support. We donated to help out uh, their staff and, and making sure their staff is, is, you know, financially little bonus, try to take care of them because we appreciate what they do and um, doing our best to su- support uh, others that might not be able to work or, you know, their businesses have, have slowed since, uh, since the economy has, you know, has, has dropped a little bit and, and businesses aren't open and, Travel and everything, so so that that was good, and hopefully it helped. And hopefully, if you're listening and you've got a chance to continue to help any small businesses that you know that you like, and uh, you know want want them to stay in business, uh, do what you can. Uh, and then we've also had some. We've we've got a bunch of upcoming for Black Rose Writing. We've got a bunch of upcoming. Uh, big book bubs, and we just had one last week for the Disharmony of Silence by Linda Rosen, and yeah. it was our biggest um, book bub in terms of sales um, on all platforms. We sold uh, over five thousand copies that week, um, so that's a that's a pretty awesome number. 
Um, and we've also had some really, uh, really great pages read days for KU subscribers. We broke our own record a few times and we've had some really, really good numbers on that end. And so people are reading and people are reading Black Rose writing books. And that's, uh, that's definitely a good thing and uh, a testament to testimonial to our quality of our, our authors and, and the, uh, the good books that we're publishing. Yeah, that, 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 that should prove the point to authors that when we send you, hey, we got you a book, bub, this is going to do more than just sell some books or give away some free copies. You're going you're gonna to get a lot out of this. It's a very good thing to have. Yeah, and Woman in Red uh, by Krishna Rose is actually, was actually free on BookBub on uh, April 29th. And as we're doing this recording, which isn't live, it is sitting at 20,900 downloads for free. Um, so that's, uh, that's a good number because we are only at, you know, 1 p.m. Central Time, our time. And uh, so there's a lot of day left for, for Krishna Rose's uh, book bub free woman in red to continue uh, doing some big giveaway numbers, which should, you know, obviously trickle into some sales and new reviews and pages read and, and uh, build her readership. So, so that's good. And I was going to see, um, you know, we, we've obviously, um, you've had a longer break than I have. You, I did the last podcast uh, just solo because we had a really long interview with Dave Chesson. And so uh, you've gotten a long break. I was going to see what, uh, what books you've been reading or what are you reading and what, uh, if you're watching any shows that are, you know, based on, based on some, some novels or anything. Uh, well, so uh, I've, I've been a little poor at my reading here in this wonderful quarantine, uh, but I'm, I'm almost done with the, uh, the, the book that I was reading uh, called uh, Kings of the Wild. Um, so I'm almost done there. It's really good. I certainly recommend it. It was recommended by one of our authors, uh, L. L. Lewis. Um, and so it, it's very good. I definitely recommend reading that. As far as shows, um, it feels like a lot of things have come to an end. I know uh, me and the wife have been watching pretty religiously Westworld uh, since we got caught up. And so we're, we're, we're completely caught up on that. And it has been phenomenal. Uh, a, a slow start to season two. And then it just ramps up and it felt like it's kept that pace and, it, and it's been really good. Uh, so if you haven't seen that and you're on the edge about it, somebody told you about it, I, I, I would recommend uh, watching that for sure. Nice. I know. I think you also mentioned while we were working the other day that you, um, you, you know, you asked your wife, you said, Jackie, you know, I've been really in the mood to restart watching uh, the Gilmore Girls, and so I think y'all started that together as well. Isn't that correct? You know, I shared those things in confidence with you. I didn't want the world to know that I'm a Gilmore Girls guy, but you went and you put it out there. You know, <laughs> basically, I do that for my wife. She's the fan. I just sit there and support and, you know, hang on every word that they say, but I'm just there for the support. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, I'm watching a 
series on Amazon Prime that I think you've watched, and I know Dave uh, David King and our design team has watched, um, but I just started it. I'm almost done with season one of The Expanse, which is based on the hard sci-fi novels by James S.A. Corey. And so far, I have not read the novels. I might go read the novels sometime. I'm not always a big hard sci-fi reader, but The Expanse um, so far has been really, uh, really good and really gripping. And uh, if you're a hard sci-fi fan, uh, I highly recommend it. Um, Yes, and and I I can agree with that because that... um after dave recommended it me and uh jackie had binge watched that pretty much for uh two or three weekends or or maybe it was it might have been like a week straight we watched two to three episodes of the evening after dinner so it was uh it was good it keeps you hooked definitely so reading wise let's see oh i have just started book four well, technically book three of the Stormlight Archive uh, titled Oathbringer. And that one is coming in at a really light 1,242 pages or something like that. So so excited about that. Super pumped because I read The Way of Kings and I read The Words of Radiance, which is books one and two, both over a thousand pages. And then the kind of book 2.5 standalone novel, novel that's like 280 pages. I read that one and, and um, it's, it's absolutely excellent by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, I would put it up there, maybe top three, top five for, for epic fantasy series. And uh, the good thing for, for, you know, anticipating another book is I've got a, they got a, about 1200 pages, obviously still to read. But book number four, uh, The Rhythm of War, I think is what it's titled right now, releases in November of this year. So timing wise, perfect, because it'll take me at least a few more weeks. I mean, maybe a little longer to finish three and then uh, only have to wait less than a half a year for book four. And I've also got Joe Abercrombie's second book in the uh, Age of Madness trilogy coming out later in 2020 as well. So I've got some good, uh, good um, reading lined up. So that's always exciting. Our guest today is Bill Percy, uh, who's coming on in just a little bit. He's the author of the Monastery Valley series, which has four books out and a fifth on the way in January 2021. So we'll be talking to Bill, talking about uh, you know his inspirations and. He recently had a BookBub featured deal uh, on climbing the Colosseum, which is which has given the uh, whole series a nice boost. So that's coming up shortly. We had uh, the other thing I was going to mention was we had a few Maxi Awards finalists. Um, I know the Maxi Awards had their uh, their best. Uh, you know, it's been their biggest year in terms of entries and competition wise. And so for us to have uh, quite a few finalists was is uh, better and better, and um, also very exciting, um, you know, that we, we did have some of those books. So I didn't know if you had yeah. anything else yeah, to add to the Maxi-Award stuff or anything in general. No, just that I, I, I believe the, the awards are supposed to be announced on Saturday, so the the actual award winners will we'll find out here uh, 
day after this airs. So be some good stuff going around. Yeah, that'll be exciting. We'll see if Black Rose writing and our authors can wrap up a few wins in some of the some of the good categories. And I know that the Maxi Awards has some uh, some cool prizes. So that'll be exciting. I know our authors get excited. Authors get excited for winning an award, and then you throw in a. I mean, you could throw in a five dollar Dunkin' Donut gift card, and they uh, it's they're usually over the moon about that because you're already it's kind of like the you know bonus the icing on the cake because you're already excited just for winning an award and then to actually get something as well uh is nice oh yeah nice to get nice to get that that recognition of something and then go oh i get money too i mean cherry on the top i'm happy with that that's it so we i did see we are looks like we've got some businesses and and uh, restaurants and things like that uh, starting to move back in the direction of being open and dine in. And uh, so hopefully that'll, hopefully everyone will, uh, I'm excited about it, but I also think, um, you know, there's, there's a few aspects to take from it. If you don't want to go out um, or you're, you're older, uh, obviously if you're 50 plus or 70 plus, and you do not want to go out and, and be in public and, and want to continue practicing social distancing at, at, at its best, then, uh, then please do. And I hope everyone can continue to be very toler, you know, tolerant and, uh, you know, very understanding of that and helpful. Um, and for people who are going out and starting to kind of engage and, and be around other people, you know, maybe, maybe everyone will be a little, little more, uh, conscientious about you know washing their hands and and or just trying to not spread their germs and and stay a little healthier and you know respect other people's own uh, little bubble around them and and uh, and it might you know might be better for the future uh in terms of, of sharing germs and and helping people stay you know healthy and not get sick anyways you know maybe we need to respect each other a little bit more and be a little more kind and aware I definitely agree with with all of that that you just said. In fact, if you see me out and about, uh, especially when I go to the grocery store, I will be wearing one of those blow up T-Rex suits so that I can just really fully grasp, you know, everybody's reactions around me. And uh, I've also always wanted to be a dinosaur. So that'll help me uh, from my younger dream days. Our guest today is award-winning author Bill Percy, who writes vivid, engaging tales of people confronting painful and challenging mysteries. His novels in the Monastery Valley series have been finalists or distinguished favorites in multiple book award competitions. The Monastery Valley series tells the stories of life, love, mysteries, and crimes in a small-town community in fictional Monastery Valley, Montana. Bill lives with his wife, Michelle, in Hope, Idaho. Uh, welcome to the show, Bill. Well, thank you for having me, Reagan. It's, it's a pleasure. I know, um, I know we had to uh, do some last-minute adjustments. Our, our scheduled guest had some 
some internet difficulties in the area where he lives. And so uh, um, I very much appreciate you filling in. I think we're going to, we're going to get some good information out there to readers. I am looking forward to it. So your, your novels seem to have, um, you know, a message within, within them, you know, not, not just a thriller, not just some mystery, but an actual message in them. What's the key motivation uh, for you behind starting the Monastery Valley series? Well, when I started, uh, it was probably back around 2009. I was just ending my career as a psychologist. So I had a lot of stories of people's lives that were intriguing and, uh, and I thought very rich. Uh, so I started, I, hadn't, I had done a lot of writing as a psychologist and a teacher. Uh, but it was all technical stuff, science, um, you know, research articles, things like that. But I wanted to write fiction. I always had, and I never had tried. So I started writing short stories, and in the first 45 or 50 were terrible. They were just, <laughs> uh, I, I don't even think I kept them. But one of the last ones that I wrote uh, had a big story in it that I liked, and I came back to it a couple of months later, and I still liked it, which was a good sign. But I also realized that it was far too big for a short story. So I decided, well, what the heck? I don't know how to do this, so I'll start a novel. And that became the first book in the series. I hadn't planned on writing a series at all. I just wanted to write this novel. And Climbing the Coliseum came out. Um, I self-published it. And... What happened was I fell in love with the characters and I fell in love with the place, the Monastery Valley and the town of Jefferson, Montana, all fictional. But I, I really couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. So then I got an idea for the next one. Nobody's safe here. Uh, and I realized that what I was doing was writing stories that came out of two places that are really close to my heart. One is the stories that clients had told me over the course of 40 years of practicing psychotherapy. Those stories were really important. And, and I wanted to tell them so that uh, readers would understand that the things that happened to these people didn't make them bad people. It made them real human beings. Uh, the second source was the, the news. Monastery uh, Climbing the Coliseum was about child abandonment. That was a story out of eight or nine clients that I had worked with. But it was also a story that was big in the news in Minneapolis, where I lived at the time. Uh, a couple of kids had been abandoned at a homeless shelter. And, and I knew those stories from the inside from my clients. So I, that the news was a stimulus to write but it really became true to me that what I was really writing about was community. Uh, that, that in a small town, now I live in a very small town now, uh, 90 people. And although we have a, an 8,000 town, 8,000 people town nearby, but in the town I live on, live in, and I'm on the city council of is 90 people. And, people help each other out all the time. It's, it's really um, a new experience for me. I lived in Minneapolis all my life. And now it's like all the neighbors, everybody knows each other and everybody helps each other. 
even though we don't all necessarily like each other. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the real story, and I didn't realize this after when I wrote Climbing the Coliseum, but one of my neighbors read it. He's a poet. And he came over to my house. We had not met much before. We hadn't talked more than just how's the day, how's the weather, that sort of thing. He came over and wanted to talk about the book. And we talked for about four hours. And one of the things he said to me was, you know, you're really writing about what a community is, not about what individual people are. And I thought I hadn't realized that at all. But I thought, you know, I think he's right. I think that's what I'm really writing about. And all of the books, people have said this to me at book signings and readings and lectures I've given, and that that what they're really intrigued about is how the people, even though they don't like each other sometimes or they hate each other sometimes, but they but they respect each other, they trust each other, and I think that's what I'm writing about. Although that's not uh, in my mind when I'm writing it, but it sure is in my heart, I guess. Yeah, it kind of makes me think, um, for whatever reason, it uh, made me think of Clint Eastwood's Pale Rider. Um, Uh You know, just the concept of all the, of, you know, the people of, you know, that small mining community, and they've all known each other forever, and they've worked together, and they know each other's kids and families, but getting along and, and agreeing and those things that doesn't that's not given they're they're they still don't like each other a lot of them don't like each other a lot of them don't agree on things that's right that's right <laughs> but you have to live together but, yeah but they but they uh you know they do their best to to bind together when they need to <laughs> yeah uh-huh that's so what the, uh go ahead go ahead go ahead no i was just gonna say that's one of the things that um i'm really uh kind of tuned into as we go through this uh, coronavirus period, um, that that doesn't seem to be happening. <laughs> As a nation, I guess we can't do that. It's too maybe too big. Uh, maybe as a small town, we sure can. Everybody around here is sheltering in place, even though we don't have to. There's there's no cases in our county. There's four, but they were four for the last thirty days, and uh, you know we don't. But we don't know who's the carrier. And so everybody around here is staying at home and wearing a face mask, but we have, it's a resort community. We're on a beautiful big lake. We're just entering into the resort season and people are coming here from Washington and California and Oregon and, and uh, they're not practicing sheltering in place at all. And it's really causing quite a stir in the, in my little community of hope, Idaho. Um, you know, people are not wearing their masks when they go to the pizza parlor, which is the only place that's a business in our town. Uh, so it's it's very interesting. Yeah, I, I can imagine it. I mean, because you it's always like you, you obviously know where you've been and, and sometimes you kind of trust where you some of your neighbors and people that you associate have been. But you don't know where the people that like the tourists, you don't know where they've been before coming there. Like you don't know if they practiced social distancing at home or if they've been cautious or if they're just doing whatever. And so that that's kind of the scarier part. Yeah. And, and we don't know if, frankly, we don't know if we're not carriers, you know, (laughs) so. Right. So what, um, 
Do you have a, any, you know, favorite author or specific books or anything that helped, uh, you know, inspire your own writing or, you know, helps you uh, continue to find passion in, in your writing? Uh, do you have about a four, an hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've read novels. When I was in graduate school back in the 70s, uh, one of my professors in psychology said, if you want to be a good psychologist, don't read psychology textbooks, read novels learn about people from people. And I've read fiction all my life, so I have dozens and dozens of favorite authors. But I'll tell you, I'm reading a finished, I'm just finishing a novel right now that has kind of swept me away. It's the name of it, the title is The Overstory by Richard Powers. And I don't know if I can even describe it, but it is one of the most powerful and moving books I've ever read, and it's about trees. <laughs> oh. this kind of shows how old I'm getting but um, it it really is about trees and it's about trees that well here I didn't hadn't realized this it's about trees in the sense that they are a community I mean there's been quite a few nonfiction books in the last five or six years that talk about trees and the way they communicate with one another and protect one another and grieve for one another when one of the trees nearby dies um, how they put, call it, call in insects that help them and repel insects that hate them. I mean, it, it's really an amazing thing. I don't know much about it, but I'm I'm totally absorbed in this novel. And there are like maybe a dozen main characters of human beings who all get their start in the beginning of the book in a relationship to trees of some kind. Um, and then they come together, they kind of all run into each other in the course of this novel. It's a long book. Uh, and they, it, it's, I can't say more, th more about it than that. It's just, it's really an amazing novel. And it's making me, I see trees entirely differently. And I'm kind of starting to see people a little differently too. Um, it's, it's Richard Powers. And um, the title is The Overstory which I think is a great title about trees. <laughs> right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's a sign of obviously a really good, you know, novel is, is that it, it's, you know, forcing you to think and forcing you to, uh, you know, hopefully make decisions uh, in your own life that are, you know, more positive than you might've made before you read the book. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. You know, one of the things that, that, that triggers a thought, Reagan, um, we live on the side of a mountain overlooking a, a really huge lake. It's one of the largest lakes in the United States. And uh, our, we're surrounded by 200-foot pine trees, ponderosas and Douglas firs. And sometimes they block our view when they – and we've, had to, we've taken a couple of them out. When we first moved here, the people who live here for generations have been loggers. And so when I would complain about I can't see the lake, they'd say, well, cut down the trees. And we'd say, oh, no, we're from Minnesota. We don't cut down trees. Well, we've cut down a few trees, and and gladly so at the time that we did it so that our view improved. But now I look at all these trees around here, and a couple of them are dying. I know that in the next 10 years they'll be gone. And it, and it changes my whole view of it. I can't, I can't think of cutting them down now because I know they're connected with all the trees near them, or at least I understand that from these books. It's very interesting. 
Yeah, it's almost like you need to have, you know, kind of like a Native American aspect is like when you're like, okay, I need to cut this one. This one needs to go down. Yeah. Um, almost have like an homage, like you're, you know, you're going to maybe use it for obviously for, for uh, building a fire in the winter to keep you warm or, you know, just however you can utilize the tree or, you know, you're going to have a little uh, memoriam of it and not uh-huh. just, not just chop them as fast as you can and be done with it. It's more of like a respect, mutual respect. <laughs> exactly. That I thank you for that. That I, I had not thought about that in that way at all. And I, that's exactly right. That it's like we're all going to die, and so we should have some kind of ceremony when it happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just I mean, pretty much how the you know Native Americans I think yeah. treated any animal. You know, they respected yeah. them, and it, it was like, okay, we we need you right now. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. there was no sport and no, uh, you know, it wasn't just to. to kill something and waste it that's right that's right well thanks for that so oh you're welcome Uh, so book five the posse the hot shots and the miracle uh releases january 2021 i got a two-part question what uh what makes this book you know kind of what fits with the series and then what also is unique about it well what fits with the series and by the way, my editor uh, uh, doesn't like the title, so <laughs> we may end so up changing. But anyway, the, what fits with the series is, number one, the characters. Um, in the book, uh, a- Andy and the, pre- and, uh, the deputy sheriff, Andy Pelton, who is the main character, um, she, she ran for sheriff against one of the other deputies in the previous book. And I won't reveal anything about that, but um, th- there's a follow-up to that election in this book. It's basically about two things that happen that the sheriff has to deal with. One is, um, or the sheriff's department has to deal with. One is, uh, you remember the Bundy family occupations of federal lands in Nevada and Oregon some years ago. Um, and actually that gentleman Eamon Bundy is active in Idaho right now to get us to quit sheltering in place and 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 to to act as if the pandemic is a hoax he's going around having illegal uh, mass meetings with people so he's still here <laughs> anyway it's based on that occupation some a group occupies the federal lands in the county where Andy Pelton my main character is uh, deputy sheriff and she has to help deal with that and then the second thing is that there's a it's a hot summer and there's a wildfire so these two things are happening that threaten the valley at the same time and she's right in the thick of it so the characters are first of all the main way in which this carries out the series but the second way in which it carries through the series is um there are many, many people involved in this thing. For example, the FBI comes and the occupation is in a very rural part of the county, which is mostly rural. And so they've got meals ready to eat, MREs, but the people feel badly about the fact that the FBI is protecting them from these occupiers and they have to eat this sort of military food all the time. So they put together a a team of 160 
members of the community who prepare meals and carry them out to the camp. But there's also this wildfire going on, and the and the the hotshots and the incident management team are assigned here by the Forest Service, and they also have meals ready to eat, MREs. And that people say, well, well, if we can feed the FBI, we can certainly feed the firefighters. They're protecting us, too. So the community comes together to take care of these guys, these young men, basically, and a couple of young women uh, who are there to help the community deal with these two threats. And, of course, the sheriff's department is kind of in the thick of both of them. So it's the community again. And I hadn't. Again, I hadn't intent that that wasn't my intention to write it that way. It's just my knowledge of what life is like in my small town, that when things happen, when bad things happen or tough things happen, people come together. Uh, they bring food and they bring um, their hoses. <laughs> so. How many um, how many books are planned for this series or do you have a planned amount or is there, you know, like a limit that you can write in this series? I'm, I'm curious. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't have a plan, but I, I also know that I'm not ready to quit. So I have a sixth book uh, that's drafted probably two thirds of the way through. I don't think it'll end up being the way it is right now, but um, but there are characters that have emerged in the course of the previous five who are incidental to the story, but kind of interesting to me. And each, whenever I finish one, um, I get this feeling like, you know, I'd like to explore so-and-so more. For example, there's a guy in earlier books, a, a longtime friend of my other main character, the psychologist, Ed, uh, a man named Merwin, Charlie Merwin, who's a professor of psychology back in Minneapolis. And Merwin is shaped like a beach ball. He's a round guy. And everything about him is round, and his language is round, and his, uh, his, he's just a round guy. He's a beach ball. And the sheriff, Ben Stewart, calls him Mr. Beach Ball. And Merwin loves that. He loves to be called Mr. Beach Ball. And I thought, I should write a book that's about him. And so that's starting to f form up. And, of course, what's happening to Mr. Beachball, Mer Charlie Merwin, this distinguished professor, is that he's dying of lung cancer. So that's part of the conflict in the story, and I don't, I don't know where it's going to end up going. But it's like the people in these previous books kind of intrigue me. And so I, I think I'll just keep going. I don't know. It's, it's music to my ears. I think it's a wonderful series. Obviously, at, at Black Rose Writing, we're excited to, to you know, to promote it and, and uh, keep it going. We've got, uh, you know, we, we obviously had a BookBub feature deal for Climbing the Coliseum recently. And um, we've really seen, you know, some, some great read-through um, you know, for books two, three, and four, like the, so the, the way we kind of monitor it is your, your Kindle limited pages read for book one. I know uh, uh, today right now, it's actually lower for book one than book two. So that's a good sign. Uh, nobody's safe here is actually yeah. getting read more than book one. And book one was the one that was, that had the promo. So that means that readers are finishing book one that, that, you know, that maybe picked it up during the promo and now they're moving on to book two and, and book three and four also getting some pages read. And, um, 
and, and sales. So that's, so that's a really good thing. Uh, obviously, we'll be excited to continue yeah. putting more out in the series. Well, we, and I've really appreciated the fact that you've been so uh, helpful in, in promoting it. Uh, uh, I'm sure most most writers, most authors say this, that what I do is right. I don't like to market. And you stepped in and really made that much, much more rewarding for me. Um, and I, I will continue. Perfect. Yeah, keep on writing. Um, it sounds like you have a great... Uh great location to, to keep on riding. Yeah, actually, I'm, look, I'm looking out my window right now, and there are two eagles that are just circ, circling on a thermal right outside my house. That's terrific. Oh. So what, yeah. um, is there an interesting fact about you that readers, uh, you know, wouldn't know and they might enjoy hearing? Well, I, I tend to think there's not much interesting about me, but, um, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story that you probably don't know, but it's about you too, or at Black Rose Writing. When I was finishing Nobody's Safe Here, the second book in the series, I decided I was going to try to do something to attract attention rather than just self-publishing because I, I didn't want to go through that. So I found this site called author.me and it's a, it's a, website that uh, brings together authors and agents and publishers. And I posted my manuscript of Nobody's Safe Here there. And I forgot about it. <laughs> but it was there. And so there was, uh, I got going on Create Space and Smashwords and figured out how I was going to self-publish. And I came to the date that I had set for myself to actually do that. And I don't remember the date, but it was a, a day in August. And I was at the computer and I was finishing up all the, you know, preparations for what I had to do. And I was just about ready to push the button to self-publish when I thought, well, I better check my email just one more time and then I'll do this. And I went into the email and there was an email from this place, Black Rose Writing. And it said, we found your manuscript for Nobody's Safe here on authors.me. And we would like to offer you a contract. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought for sure this was some scam from Nigeria, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the most. So I had my wife, Michelle, read it. And she said, well, it looks real to me. I called a couple of friends back in Minneapolis and they said, well, it, what, hurt, what, what would it hurt to reply? And I thought, well, OK, I can reply. And I did assuming that then my computer would be infected with diseases. <laughs> it was wonderful. And you were there and we talked and then we talked on the phone and, and it worked and it worked. It was one of the, I remember when I signed the first contract, um, I, Michelle and I went out for dinner and we had drinks and we celebrated and I thought I am a new person. Here I am, retired psychologist and a contracted author. <laughs> awesome. Yep. Uh, we we got Thanks. books two and three, and then obviously we went back and got number one to get the whole series under contract. And and now that's we got, right. And we did book book four, book four and yeah. So good to go. All right, we've got a uh, what we call our short story section. It's a few uh, fun questions, quick questions. Are are you ready for that? 
I, I I'm ready for anything. All right, here's this one should be right up your alley. Favorite thing to do outdoors? Um, at this time in my life, hiking. I used to be a marathoner and a triathlete, but I'm a hiker now. Name a place you haven't been, but someday want to travel to. Uh, Italy. Favorite sports team? Minnesota Twins. Favorite city in the United States? Oh, uh, Chicago or Seattle. I can't pick between them. What is the maybe your favorite food or unique food to uh, that's available in Idaho? Well, it's available if I cook it. It's the United States Senate bean soup, and it's served has been served in the U.S. Senate dining room since I think 1908 or something like that. The recipe for it is in um, the Joy of Cooking, the newest edition. And I came across it half a dozen years ago, or a dozen years ago, and I cook it maybe once a month. Awesome. All right, last one. Worst job you've ever had? Well, uh, my first job, I was uh, on the housekeeping uh, department of a hospital in Scottsdale, Arizona. And because I was 14 years old, I got to clean the toilets. Yes. (laughs) Um, I again, I appreciate you coming on short notice, Bill. Uh, is there anything else you would like to mention or plug? Uh, please feel free to do so. I would like to uh, just ask everybody to continue to treat this pandemic as if it's a real threat and to do what we can to protect each other. I think we're not done with this and we're not going to be done with it for a long time. And that's the science part of me talking. Um, so let's take care of each other. Our guest on the next podcast is Mark Hewitt. Salamala and Abby Yosef. <laughs> <laughs>